Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Scoreline. Tonight we'll be discussing the 2022 Qatar FIFA World Cup. The World Cup is in a week's time. I'm recording this episode on the 13th of November, 2022. So essentially in seven days' time, the World Cup will begin. This has been a very lacklustre World Cup in terms of preparation, excitement, hype. Yeah, it has all just been underwhelming, the the, 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 the vibe, the hype. Because usually in a World Cup year or closer to the World Cup, you just feel like a lot of buzz, especially in the footballing community. Um, I don't know. I was, discussing, I was discussing this with a friend of mine and he said a couple of interesting points. One, maybe it's because where we are, I'm in South Africa, and maybe the rest of uh, the West, because usually hype is gathered or maybe is is propelled by the West. And by the West, I mean America and Europe. I, I'm not even sure if Europe is the West, but I mean, they have characteristics of, the, of being part of the West. So... I don't know. There's just been a lot of controversy surrounding Qatar, how they got to host the World Cup. And yeah, maybe that's part of the reason why a lot of people um, aren't necessarily buzzing about the World Cup. But I'm confident that once the World Cup starts, there will be a buzz. There will be a buzz, especially in this TikTok and YouTube shots, Instagram generation. There's bound to be a buzz. And when you look at it, not many big-name players are missing from the World Cup. So that's always a good thing. We are going to talk... I mean, as far as the World Cup is concerned, I'm sure there's there's been a lot of talks and podcasts and YouTube YouTube shows or whatever that speak about the World Cup and the content surrounding the World Cup, especially in the beginning, is more or less the same. It's people predicting, people giving their favorites, people giving their dark horses. And you find that as far as the World Cup is concerned, there there really isn't much more to it than that. And snubs as well, players that didn't get selected that we all think they should have been selected. That's all we can say at this point, leading up to World Cup. So I'll follow suit as well. So I'll first start by giving three nations that I think are the favorites to win the World Cup, according to me. And yeah, let's get into it. Um, The first nation, France. Uh, I don't think this comes as a shocker uh, because they're the defending champions as as things stand, they are the champions of the world from their heroics in 2018 in Russia. So, France has been quite complicated, to be honest. Didier Deschamps, the French coach, has been experimenting quite a lot in recent times. Yes, they won the Nations League, but it was like when you look at the performances not just on the stat sheet, just looking at the overall performances, the eye test and all of that. They won because of individual brilliance and the brilliance of one Karim Benzema in particular, alongside Kylian Mbappe, but 
Karim Benzema was just uh, ridiculous, especially in the the game against Belgium. I think that was the final. Yeah, he was he was ridiculous. He was he was he was sensational. So when you analyze some of the performances they've had after that, um, after that win over Belgium last year, they've just been underperforming. France has just been underperforming. Deschamps tried to move away from the back four and utilize the 3-4-3 and many variations of the back three. It just didn't work. It just didn't work. Mainly because they have so much... According to me, they have so much offensive um, firepower and it doesn't really link well with that defensive scheme because that 3-4-3 variation that uh, Tuchel uh, introduced back into world football. I mean, it was there, but he really made it like a the formation to go to in the last uh, maybe 18 months. So Deschamps tried to do that, playing with five defenders. It just didn't work. It just didn't work. And apart from that, they've, they, they haven't played with their core in midfield that won them the World Cup, N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba, both of whom have been very um, injury-prone in the last two, three years. And even now, both of them are not going to the World Cup because of injury. So as a result, Deschamps has had to try variations of Shamini, Kamavinga, Rabio, for Fana now. So there's just been a lot of testing, chopping pieces, putting this one in, this one out, and just trying to see that like beyond Pogba and Kante, who really deserves to be in the in the heart of the French midfield. And so far, Oriel Chonomeni has has been for me the only one who has I don't know, been consistent or shown that, okay, he can be a day-to-day player. Mainly because he's, outside of Fafana, he's the only CDM. And the other players, Rabio, Kamavinga, they're more like eight. So you don't really... Their performances aren't Paul Pogba-esque or anywhere near the, the class of Pogba, especially in the French shirt. And it's really difficult... I think it has been very difficult for Kamavinga to to be in form, um, mainly because of the role that he has in Madrid, the players he plays with, Luka Modric, Cruz, Casemiro before he left. So he he I mean he can't bench Modric because Modric has been playing like a madman at the age of thirty seven. So it's difficult. It has been difficult for Kamavinga, in my opinion, to solidify himself in either the French squad or the Madrid squad. And but then he's he's important to both squads, but not as like a ninety minute uh everyday starting lineup type of player. But he is a talent for sure. I just think maybe Madrid will use him once the generation of Cruz and Modric um goes out. I've spoken a lot about France, but I haven't mentioned Mbappé, Benzema, how they link up Giroud from the bench, 
uh, the resurgence of Usman Dembele, the the coming of age of Christopher Ngungu has just been phenomenal. I mean, just to, to show you just how deep fronts are up front, they didn't even pick Musa Diaby uh, to, to, to come to, the, to go to the World Cup. And that's for me, it's, it's not ludicrous when you consider the talent they have, but it just goes to show that they're deep. They're deep up front. But they have, they have problems defensively. Rafael Varane is no longer the player he used to be. And he played a lot with Umtiti in the last World Cup. Umtiti now is, I don't know, I want to be kind, but he's a shell of himself. He's benching at Lecce in Serie A. So now there's this conundrum concerning Jules Conde. Do you play him at centre-back? Do you play him at right-back? It's just a mess. And the, 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 back, the back three made it a mess. Um, and Xavi isn't helping as well at possible because he's playing Kunde at right back. I mean, Kunde could be a Pogba type of talent where you are so versatile that coaches end up playing you in a position that's not necessarily your strongest, but you can still perform in that position because you are that talented. And now there's Benjamin Pavard, there's Theo Hernandez, Lucas Hernandez as well. So it's a lot... Like they have a lot of wing backs, and I saw one of these media houses. They had a projected lineup where they were playing like a four 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 two diamond, and the the French back for they put Pavarde right back, um, Theo Hernandez at left back, Lucas Hernandez and Varane in the center of the defense. And that left Kunde outside. And I didn't understand it. I mean, Lucas Hernandez has been playing as a left back and left center back at, at Bayern, but he's had injuries in recent times. But I don't think it's advisable to play Theo Hernandez and Lucas Hernandez in the same defense. I, I just think it, it's, it's a bit too risky. Um, they're both talented, but their talents are more on the offensive side of the ball as, as wing backs. And I think I'll just put it straight. I think Lucas Hernandez needs to bench because Teo Hernandez, for me, Teo Hernandez is, is phenomenal. Phenomenal. I watch AC Milan every week and I see his value on both sides of the, of, of, of the, of the field. He is phenomenal. I think he is the best, right, uh, the best wing back France has to offer. Moving on. Uh, I don't know where France is going to end up, to be honest with you. They might not even be number one in their group because they have Denmark in their group. But I'll talk about Denmark in a few minutes. But um, you have to trust that quality will always prevail. And France has quality. Because France has quality. Some, in some regions, the quality might be less than in some others. But overall, it's just quality lineup, talent all the way through. One one asks themselves what role Anton Griezmann will play. I don't know what role he'll play. He's no longer the player he used to be. Far from the player he used to be. I mean, even when you compare him with the 2018 World Cup, he's nowhere near that level. Um, for me, I would like to see Kungu keep playing in the central role, especially behind Benzema. Um, I think Kungu is, is, has been fantastic. 
and has shown that he can play both in the wing and central roles because they play him behind Andre Silva and uh, and sometimes alongside Andre Silva at uh, Leipzig and he's been phenomenal. I, I don't think I need to tell anyone how phenomenal Christopher Nkunku is or has been. So I, I think I'd like to see that. I'd like to see a 4-2-3-1 where in midfield you'll probably have Fofana and many just to make sure you have two CDMs because of the firepower you have up front. And then the the striker will obviously be Benzema. And behind Benzema, just put Mbappe, Griezmann, uh, Mbappe on, on one side of the wing and then put either Coman or Dembele on the other. And then in the middle behind the striker, just put Christophe Ngungu. I think it's a combination of pace and just lethal striking. It's just lethal uh, lethal scoring ability there, and and the pace they have up front can cause problems for any any defense on planet Earth. So I think that's how they should line up, especially having Mbappe, Dembele, and Kungu just keep rotating behind Benzema, just keep rotating position, just have just having them be fluid positionally be able to come inside where the other goes out and just make those runs into the box. Because all of them, I mean, they, they're just quick. And all of them are just snipers. So, yeah, Deschamps has a, has a task on, on his hands. But I have a feeling he's going to play Rabiot in the middle of the park and then take one position up front and then play three in midfield. I just think no in Deschamps, maybe he might play something like that. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I spent fourteen minutes talking about France. But they they're such a they're such a an intriguing team. An intriguing team. Like the World Cup can either go south or go like north and really north. I mean look at what happened with them in the in the Euros. I mean obviously it was unfortunate for them to lose to Switzerland, but they were not really the most convincing team. So, yeah. And next favorite, which I won't really talk a whole lot about, is Brazil. You might ask, why is Brazil the favorite? Because they're Brazil. Because have you seen the squad they're putting into the World Cup? Have you seen the talent? And Brazil has just been solid the past four years. They've just been solid. Dide has just been drilling whatever philosophy has been drilling into those boys. And Dide has been consistent with the players he chooses. And he's just been consistent. He's made some decisions that I, I don't like, particularly his middle, midfield pairing. But he's he's been consistent with it. And he has won with it. You might ask yourself... Or ask me, are they winning because of a team effort or individual brilliance? And I'd say it's a combination of both, honestly. Some days it's just so hard to beat because they will, they will like pummel you five goals and four different scorers or five five different scorers. So it's difficult and to, to, to just predict how Brazil is going to play or predict what's making them successful. Because of the talent they have is enormous. And Neymar has just been in sync with uh, all the boys that play up front. Essentially, all the boys that play up front, they just look at him as this big brother. And yeah, they, they, they kind of idolize him in a good, healthy way. And he he lets them shine. There's Vinicius, there's Rodrigo, 
we're going to see Martinelli and Anthony as well. There's Richarlison who's done fairly well in Brazilian colors. There's Lucas Paqueta. So Brazil up front is just ridiculous. If you thought France was ridiculous, try Brazil. Uh, I don't even know which between the two, which squad is more deep, is, is deeper. I'd say Brazil, I'd lean towards Brazil, but wow, man, these two teams are so deep and they can win any game on planet Earth. They can really win any game on planet Earth. So yeah, Brazil Brazil will have to will have a fairly tough pass to the final, but um, it shouldn't be... I don't think it should be that much of a problem for them. Maybe when they get to quarterfinals, yeah, maybe that that's where not quarters even semis, yeah. That's where maybe they might see uh, some problems because they face Argentina there. So, ah, uh, we'll see, we'll see. Um, Argentina, my last favorite to win the World Cup. One, Leo Messi. And it just being his last competition. Two, 34 match and beating run, 35 or 34 match and beating run. So they haven't lost in close to two years, over two years, something like that. But 34 games they haven't lost. Um, but I have concerns about them, but they don't lose. And they're, they're very solid at the back. Their squad is very balanced, very, very balanced. And that, that makes me happy a lot. Um, when I when I watch them, they're not just all for firepower up front. Their midfield is very solid. Rodrigo de Paul, Leandro Paredes, um, they, they've just been phenomenal. And a young prospect that I'm 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 eyeing. I'm really really eyeing this guy. And they they, they selected him to come to the World Cup. There's a there's a player that plays for Benfica, 21 year old Enzo Fernandez. I have a feeling he's going to be a, a star. I have a feeling he's going to be a star. And I have a feeling that in January, one of the big clubs will take him. Um, obviously, Benfica is big, but we know the level of big we're talking about. Enzo Fernandez is going to be a star. And Benfica, once again, once again, produce a gem of a player. So, we'll see. Um, produce... Uh, Argentina has a lot of weapons. They have a lot of weapons. Obviously, Messi being the central weapon, but Lautaro Martinez has been playing the football of his life. Julian Alvarez has just been phenomenal. We haven't seen much of him because of Haaland, but where the parts that we've seen of him has just been so athletic, so highly energetic, and just... He's a problem. Then you have Angel Di Maria. I don't have to tell you about Di Maria. And Joachim Correa is solid off the bench. He's tall, he's big, and he can run with the ball. There's just a lot to as far as Argentina is concerned. They can, they can beat you with so many people. So I really see them being steady. Um, sometimes I worry about the, their lack of goal scoring, especially against big clubs. I worry about that quite a lot. Um... I don't know how they're going to do that because in the past, even Argentina hasn't really scored so many goals. Sometimes they win on penalties and you can't go to a World Cup trusting that you'll win on penalties. Of course, they have Amy Martinez, who's just been 
Emi Martinez, as far as penalties go, I think in Europe, I don't think there's a keeper that I trust more in penalties than Emi Martinez. He's, he's just been phenomenal with penalties. I'd say maybe Dean Henderson, but I mean, nah, but Martinez has just been phenomenal in penalties. And sometimes people underestimate the importance of penalties when coming to the World Cup. Penalties are very important. And having a goalkeeper that's good in penalties sometimes wins you the World Cup. And most people don't realize that. So Argentina have that in their back pocket. And I don't think any of the two contenders I mentioned have that weapon. So that would be that that would be really interesting when it comes to the the knockout phases. But yeah. Um those are my, my favorite teams. Um not favorite teams as I enjoy them, but teams that I think um are going to the World Cup as far as I'm concerned. Um yeah, I'm not really sure now if I should continue talking about Dark Horses, but I'll just mention them briefly just to keep this episode short. Denmark. I don't think I need to explain. Denmark has a a very, very, I'll repeat, very, 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 very balanced squad. The squad is super balanced and they have ballers. They don't have superstars, but they have players that play very well in their positions and a coach that knows how to coach them. We saw them at the Euros. They gave every team they faced problems. England had to beat them with uh, some funny tactics there, but I will talk about that some other time. But I see I see Denmark doing really, really well. If Denmark knocks out a uh, maybe a top four team, I wouldn't be surprised at all. They are so good. They can even be they can even finish top of their group, which has France in it. Because they beat France even in the Nations League games that they were having. So I really see Denmark as a as a dark horse. And Serbia. I've been really high on Serbia. Um not because they're good as a team, not because they are the ones who made Portugal go to the playoffs. Um but because of the personnel they have particularly up front. Serbia has, I think they have Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, uh, but I know for sure they have Dusan Tadic, Dusan Vlahovic, Aleksandra Mitrovic. I don't know if they took Nemanja Vidic, but it's just, it's an insane squad that they have. And up front, those, the, the Twin Towers, the big number nines, they play them at the same time. They play Vlahovic and Mitrovic at the same time. That, that's, that, that, that's tactically ridiculous in a bad way, but because of the star power those two have and the, the gravity they, 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 they command on the pitch, I fully understand. I'm not going to go to a World Cup and put either Mitrovic or Vlahovic on the bench. That's just, is not happening. If I'm going to have two number nines, I will have them. One will stand on this corner of, of the 18 yards and the other will stand on the other. And then we'll see what happens. And behind them, they have a creative genius in Dushan Tadic. So, I'm telling you guys. And then there's Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. 
I basically worship the the crown that man walks on because of just how much of a phenom he is. I don't even know. <sighs> Serge Milinkovic Savage. People don't understand just how supremely talented and intellectually gifted that guy is. But yeah, that's my sleeper team, Serbia. I see Serbia doing really, really well. People don't, people aren't really high on Serbia, but I'm going to, to, to put my stocks in Serbia. I'll, I'll come back later and tell people how I told them Serbia was going to do. The last team that I think can cause people problems is the Netherlands. And I want to wrap up this episode, so I'll say this about Netherlands. Please go look at their squad. Go look at their squad. Go look at their squad. There is no reason as to why Netherlands can upset a couple of teams. There is no reason at all. No reason at all. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye.